You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off this week. Just in time for spring break, gas prices across Metro Vancouver are on the rise. This morning, they jumped to about $1.52 a litre. And experts say it'll get worse before it gets better. Catherine Urquhart is live in Vancouver to explain what is behind these prices. What's driving them, Catherine? Well, Sophie, we're being told that this is largely about supply and demand. Here at this gas station in downtown Vancouver, many people are putting the least amount of fuel possible into their cars with the hopes that prices will go down, but they may be disappointed. Cover your ears and open your wallet. Welcome to the latest round of pain at the pump. I don't know, what can you do, right? It's unfortunate, but uh, given, who knows, like I don't even know, I haven't paid attention as to why it's going up. $1.51 a litre, now the going rate at many Vancouver area stations. Why the sudden jump? Spring break, a changeover to more expensive summer mix, and the number one reason? bigger issue here is uh, two refineries south of the border that supply a lot of gasoline into our market. Uh, everyone will probably know the BP Cherry Point plant uh, has some units down for maintenance, and uh, Shell in Anacortes has also been offline for about four or five days, at least part of its gasoline production. The latest increase is expected to have some of us thinking more about an electric or hybrid vehicle, a federal incentive widely believed to be in Tuesday's budget. There is currently a BC government incentive on electric vehicle purchases. That's $5,000 for a fully electric vehicle uh, and some plug-in electric vehicles with large batteries and also $2,500 for plug-in electric vehicles. These are vehicles where you can use the battery during your day-to-day -day driving, and if you take a road trip, you still have a gasoline system. And gas prices are likely to climb even higher. April 1st, there's the carbon tax increase, and with summer demand on the horizon, the per liter price for regular is expected to be in the $1.60 range. I normally drive a pickup truck, um, and in that, it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. You can put 20 bucks in, the needle barely moves. Some are already dumping their cars for cheaper alternatives. Now, if you happen to be across the line, you will definitely want to fill up. The price converted into Canadian dollars, about 94 cents to $1.08 a litre, and that's in Blaine and Bellingham. And that's a savings for most people of 20 to $30 on a tank of gas. Sophie, back to you. Certainly adds up. All right, thanks for that, Catherine. Well, while we are still a couple of days away from the official start of spring, it definitely feels like it's sprung on the lower mainland. Double-digit temperatures are driving people outdoors. But as Jennifer Palmer reports, with all that beauty comes a warning. It's March, not the time of year you'd expect to be enjoying warm weather and Vancouver's beaches. It rains here so much in Vancouver, so we'll just enjoy you know, any sunshine we can get. Now we have warm and... March, that's awesome. But some still want to enjoy the last days of winter, so snowpack testing is ongoing, and as temperatures warm up, the snowpack becomes more destabilized. Right now on the south coast, the danger rating is considerable to high, meaning human-triggered avalanches could happen. And what that big warm-up is doing is destabilizing the upper snowpack, and we're actually into high avalanche danger in many places, considerable in others. 
And that really means that natural avalanches are likely as we move through the next few days with these very warm temperatures. And while people are enjoying this weather on the beaches, many more are thinking of heading up to those mountains. And North Shore Rescue is asking you to be prepared. For anyone that's going into the backcountry, into uncontrolled terrain, it's winter conditions in the mountains, um, and all aspects are going to be affected um, for potential avalanches. So you still need to carry all of your safety equipment. You need to have a, a plan in place. And for those wanting to get a few more runs in, the weather is perfect at Cypress. The ski hill is packed and ready to enjoy, but avoid the backcountry. Obviously don't go there. We've got a double rope boundary all around the perimeter, but anything in bounds is controlled by our ski patrol, so we wouldn't open it if it wasn't safe. So there's no uh, danger of any sort of avalanches in bounds. The warm weather is extending around the province, and so is the avalanche risk. Take in the good weather, but be prepared. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Such a nice day. Meteorologist Yvonne Shell joins us with more on this. Yvonne, that risk is only going to go up. Yes, this is the big warm-up that we've seen uh, hit the snowpack this season. A look at some of the numbers once again. In areas away today, got up to 23 degrees. So the following spots across the province, if you're planning on heading into the backcountry, uh, this is the special public avalanche warning in most areas that are indicated in red is where we're seeing it at high. And this will continue with temperatures continuing to warm up for the next two to three days. A bit of a reprieve, but a warm Morning is out there if you're planning on heading in the backcountry. Soph? All right, thanks for that, Yvonne. We'll talk to you in a bit. Now, a warning from police tonight as they search for witnesses who may have information about a sexual assault over the weekend. It happened near the UVic campus. Kylie Stanton now on what police are revealing about the suspect and how he gained access to the home. Yes, early Sunday morning here in the 3900 block of Wolf Street, a man entered one of these townhouses and sexually assaulted a 22-year-old woman. Now, the victim, who is from the Lower Mainland, was visiting friends who attend the University of Victoria nearby and was staying with them overnight. It was roughly 2 a.m. when the intruder broke in, brandishing a knife, and proceeded to sexually assault her. When he finally fled, she called police. It is a very active and ongoing investigation. We've had detectives working on it since it came in. So they worked through the night and through yesterday and they're back at it today. Um, so uh, we are actively working this. Now the suspect was not known to the victim. He's described as tall and athletic looking with short blonde hair and possibly wearing glasses. Major crimes and forensic investigators are on scene gathering evidence. At the same time, word is spreading on campus. I heard it on Facebook, just on social media, and I just thought it was like pretty uh, unheard of around here. It's upsetting, it's kind of discerning and scary. It makes me feel pretty nervous to know that someone's out there doing those kinds of things. Police have discovered that some residences in the area where there's a high population of university students living together are not being secured. And although they say the public at large is not at risk, they're asking everyone to be vigilant, as it's possible the suspect knew the home was unlocked. If there's a lot of people in the house, make sure the, that there's a key for everybody. Um, that way everybody can lock the door and know that they can get back in the house. Anyone with any information on this case is being asked to contact Saanich PD. The victim did not suffer any physical injuries. She's now recovering and is being supported by friends, family and other services. Sophie? All right, Kylie Stanton reporting. Kylie, thank you. The suspect in a shooting involving a transit officer in Surrey made a brief court appearance today. 35-year-old Dayon Glasgow appeared via video link. He's facing a number of charges, including attempted murder. It's alleged on January 30th, Glasgow shot 27-year-old Constable Josh Harms at the Scott Road Skytrain station. 
Glasgow will remain in custody until his next court date on April 10th. Two teens are missing and believed to have died following a crash near trail. RCMP say a Volkswagen Beetle went off Seven Mile Dam Road on a curve down a steep embankment and into the Ponderai River. The driver and passenger in the front seat were able to get out and swim to the surface, but the two passengers sitting in the back, a 15-year-old boy and an 18-year-old girl, are still missing and presumed dead. Crews remain on scene. A dive team will be arriving tomorrow. A B.C. family is facing heartache and uncertainty half a world away. Chunming Wang was going through Canada's immigration process when he died in the Ethiopian Airlines crash. Now his wife and daughters are in mourning and limbo, facing questions about their own future in this country. Tanya Beja reports. As she walks across the field where her father's life was cut short, Alison Wong says the tragic reality is still sinking in. I don't know, it's like a, like a dream, but I mean, it's not the truth. Like, I can't believe it. Chen Ming Wong moved to the Okanagan from China in 2015 to build a better future for his wife and daughters. He did everything for our family. He wanted our girls to have a good education. The 47-year-old bought Vernon's Big O tires and quickly established roots in the community. But to complete the Canadian immigration process, Wong needed to pick up some paperwork in Kenya, where he once lived. He was en route when the plane crashed in Ethiopia. This was almost like the final hurdle was to do some paperwork about his living there for the Canadian government. <laughs> Instead of planning for their future, the Wongs are now trying to reclaim Chun Ming's body, but they could be waiting months. So for now, they build this small memorial. And with his death, the family's status in Canada is also a question mark. We're unsure with their citizenship what's going to happen. The ministry responsible for immigration says dependents such as spouses and children of the person applying can only become permanent residents after the person applying becomes a permanent resident. But individuals can apply on humanitarian and compassionate grounds in exceptional cases. Alison Wong says she won't give up on her father's Canadian dream. That is uh, his last wishes. Tanya Beja, Global News. That's still to come. Right now, though, the rise in electric vehicles on the roads is leading to new questions tonight about how emergency crews respond to car fires. A man was killed in a fiery overnight crash in Coquitlam. While it is possible for any car to burst into flames after a collision, Grace Key explains why fire crews use a different approach if the vehicle is electric. Speeding may be to blame for this fatal crash in Coquitlam. The Tesla engulfed in flames after it struck a traffic pole, killing the driver. It happened just after 1 a.m. on Lougheed Highway and Alderson Avenue. And because it was an electric car, police will proceed with caution. They do respond differently from a gasoline fire. Uh, it has the ability to reignite as a, as a battery fire. A driver is dead after losing control of his car and crashing into a tree in Davie. In the United States, the National Transportation Safety Board has ongoing investigations into fatal Tesla crashes. Last year, two Florida teens were killed when their vehicle crashed and caught on fire. Last month in Florida, a battery reignited after the burned-out car was towed. 
Tesla's own guide says battery fires can take up to 24 hours to extinguish and there's a risk of reignition. The crews are, are aware that when they're dealing with a vehicle like that, that they need to be mindful of where those electric lines are running and uh, where the batteries are located and if there's a master shutoff that they can access. So the orange there is the... Um, the high voltage cables and the National Fire Protection Association's website shows emergency response guides of several alternative fuel vehicles that firefighters can access. An important tool, especially when the driver has to be extricated and new technology emerges. There's fuels in them, the safety systems as well, the airbags and the seatbelt pretensioners, all of these these changes to vehicles affect how we approach them and how we deal with them. As for the early morning fire, Coquitlam police are looking for dash cam video and they're asking for witnesses who saw the black Tesla Model X to come forward. Grace Key, Global News. Well, the political battle over the future of the Trans Mountain Pipeline is heating up again this week in the B.C. Court of Appeal. Our province is making a bid to regulate the transport of oil through B.C. and restrict bitumen shipments from Alberta. Keith Baldry has more from Victoria. Now, Keith, this will go on for five days in the Court of Appeal. What exactly is it the province is hoping to accomplish? They're hoping to accomplish an, an expansion of provincial uh, jurisdiction on a constitutional basis. It's not trying, they're not in court, the BC government is not in court to block the construction of the pipeline or the expansion of the pipeline, but as you mentioned, basically what flows through that pipeline. And specifically, three questions are being asked in court, posed today by government lawyer uh, Joe Arve. The first question is, should BC have the ability, uh, be able to pass a law to control the flow of heavy oil in the province? If the answer is yes to that question, a second one comes into play. Well, can that law be used to uh, control the flow of heavy oil uh, in the province, specifically uh, coming from a different province, in this case probably Alberta? If the answer to both those questions is yes, the third question comes into play. Uh, can the federal government override the B.C. law uh, and uh, it, uh, declare jurisdiction over effectively making that law uh, inoperable? Uh, those are the three questions posed by the B.C. government. Needless to say, there are a number of groups in this courtroom, including some environmental groups. Alberta is also a party to the federal challenge of this. Uh, Eco-justice lawyer, though, making the case that B.C. should have the right to control the environment. And uh, Alberta Premier Rachel Notley obviously has a different point of view. The environment should be protected at every level of government. So if the federal government has environmental protection regime, that's fine. But in a case like this where the province has identified gaps in that regime, it should have the constitutional authority to fill in those gaps with stronger environmental laws. This is not a thing that the government of BC has the authority to do. Uh, and we feel very confident in the strength of our arguments. All right, like I said, five days in the B.C. Court of Appeal, uh, Keith, but will they have the final say? Uh, very unlikely. Uh, no matter what happens when, the, when it wraps up on Friday, when the Court of Appeal does come back with its judgment, it will be appealed by either side to the Supreme Court of Canada. There's a lot at stake here, including uh, constitutional que questions and provincial powers. So this isn't over for a long time yet. I'm sure. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Meantime, the newest member of Justin Trudeau's cabinet is defending her decision to speak out against her government's approval of the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. Vancouver Quadra MP Joyce Murray is the new Treasury Board president, succeeding Jane Philpott, who resigned over the government's handling of the SNC-Lavalin affair. Murray was asked today if her position on Trans Mountain had changed with her appointment to cabinet. She said when she made the statement back in 2016, she was representing the sentiments of her community and that it is the job of Cabinet and the Prime Minister to make a decision that's in the interest of all Canadians. 
If you think you're getting gouged on your cell phone contract, you'll want to hear this next story. When it comes to the device subsidy, our Consumer Matters reporter Andrea explains why the onus is often on you, the customer, to exercise due diligence. This is quite <laughs> something to, to look for in your bill, Anne. Yeah, you're going to have to start looking at your phone bill carefully. Thanks, Sophie. If you own a phone, chances are you've heard of the device subsidy. It's the monthly amount you agree to pay the carrier for the phone over the duration of the 24-month contract. Once the contract is up and you've paid off the phone, you would expect your monthly bill would go down. It seems simple, but as you're about to see, it's much more complicated than that. And I feel like I'm cheated. Greg Severson describes his frustration after he paid off his phone once his 24-month contract with his carrier was up. He says he wanted to keep his phone and had no desire to upgrade to a new device. More importantly, he expected a portion of his bill to go down because he had paid off the phone. After the 20, first 24-month contract, I thought I was going to have a reduction in my total bill by the amount I was paying to pay off the phone. That amount is known as a device subsidy, but Greg says he was told his old plan didn't exist anymore and he had to get a new contract and a new phone. Despite his persistence that his total bill should go down in price, Greg says he gave up and went into a new device and new contract. I, mean, I feel as a consumer, we have absolutely no say. Tellus, Greg's carrier, told Consumer Matters, it appears that when the customer contacted us in July of 2017, we presented him with a bring-your-own-device plan option, but he ultimately decided to upgrade his device as part of a new 24-month contract, which is why he started a new device balance. But Severson says he has a different perspective. It wasn't worth the fight. Turns out there is nothing in the wireless code that requires cell phone providers to remove the device subsidy from a customer's bill after 24 months. The Commission for Complaints for Telecom Television Services telling Consumer Matters, the CRTC decided not to include this requirement in the code. Our suggestion for customers is to be mindful of the expiry date of the contract and of the device subsidy. We asked the major carriers what happens to the device subsidy once a customer's 24-month cell phone contract expires and the phone is paid off. Tell is stating we proactively communicate with our customers in the final three months of their contract to offer affordable device upgrades and access to plans that match or are even better than our in-market promotions for new customers. Rogers telling Consumer Matters, we let our customers know well in advance of their fixed-term contract expiring to remind them of the variety of options available, including switching to a bring-your-own-device plan or upgrading their device on a new fixed-term contract. Bell told us at the end of the term, a customer can choose a new bring-your-own-device plan with their current phone, decide to get a new subsidized device and plan, or simply continue with the same rate plan. It's up to them. Freedom Mobile stated once the MyTab balance has been cleared, the customer's recurring month MyTab fee is automatically removed from their account. With the exception of Freedom, no carrier confirmed to Consumer Matters that the device subsidy is removed from the total bill at the end of the 24-month contract if the customer does not do anything to change plans. Merchant Law is now looking into the device subsidy issue and may seek a class action if the firm receives enough public response. The Consumer Protection Act's are in place and we believe that the conduct of the companies in this case is in violation of the Consumer Protection Act. Meantime, the BC government is promising more transparency when it comes to consumers entering into contracts with carriers. We want to make it clear that when uh, consumers enter into a contract, they know exactly what that contract is about, they know exactly what the fees are, they know exactly what the charges are. As for Greg Severson, change can't come soon enough.
It'll baffle me until something's done about it. And the CRTC says it has no idea how many Canadians may or may not be aware of the device subsidy charge and how it works, but says it received 11 calls in 2017 and six calls in 2018 from consumers complaining about providers continuing to charge the device subsidy once their contract term expired and the device subsidy was repaid. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, well done. Thank you very much, Anne. Students from Christchurch High School among the mourners paying their respects to the 50 people killed in the New Zealand terrorist attack. Large numbers of teens gathering to perform the haka, a ceremonial Maori dance to pay tribute to the victims and honour the dead. And New Zealand's Prime Minister is promising swift action following the terror attack. While mass shootings in the U.S. have only sparked debate over gun control, Jacinda Ardern is vowing to reform her country's gun laws in just 10 days. Tonight, new accounts of heroism during 36 minutes of terror. Ali Adib says his father took a bullet for him. All he said was just take care of your mom and your Abdul Aziz came face to face with the shooter, scaring him away after grabbing one of his unloaded guns and chasing him out of the second mosque. I just wanted to take his focus out of from the mosque. But already 50 lives had been taken. The suspect Brenton Tarrant in court smiling, flashing a white power sign, his face blurred. While shootings of this magnitude in the U.S., from Parkland to Las Vegas, to Sandy Hook have sparked debates over what to do about gun violence. Tonight, New Zealand's Prime Minister is given a deadline to change gun laws here. Within 10 days of this horrific act of terrorism, we will have announced reforms which will, I believe, make our community safer. It's unclear how this country, where many people own guns, will react. Meanwhile, tonight, dozens are still hospitalized. Wasim Alsati and his four-year-old daughter are suffering from multiple gunshot wounds. Please pray for my son, for, for me, and for my daughter. Among the victims killed, refugees from Syria who survived the civil war. Tonight, nine people remain in critical condition. Three days after the New Zealand massacre, the Netherlands is on edge tonight after a deadly attack there. It happened in the city of Utrecht just before 11 a.m. local time. A gunman opened fire on a public tram, killing three people and wounding five others. The country was immediately put on high alert. A 37-year-old suspect has been detained, the attack being investigated as an act of terror, although there are also reports it may have involved a domestic dispute. More than 1,000 people are feared dead in Mozambique four days after a cyclone slammed into the country. Cyclone Adai struck the port city of Berra late Thursday before moving inland. It's believed to be the most destructive storm to hit Mozambique in more than a decade. Strong winds and heavy rain submerged entire villages and shut down the airport. The Red Cross says 90% of Berra, which is home to half a million people, was damaged or destroyed. Oh my God. 
and some scary moments caught on cell phone video in Nashville. A police officer recovering after being dragged by an ATV. It happened over the weekend outside an arena where a basketball tournament was underway. Officials are warning swarms like these are becoming more common across the U.S. Throngs of off-road riders organized on social media meet up to take over city streets. In this incident, one person was arrested at the scene, but the driver of that four-wheeler got away. Crews are still trying to control a massive fire at a chemical plant in Texas. The tank fire erupted Sunday morning at a petrochemical storage facility in Deer Park, Texas. Residents of the town outside Houston were issued a shelter in place this morning. Firefighters are battling the intercontinental terminal's blaze with foam to try to get the upper hand. So far, no one has been hurt, but air quality is a concern as the fire continues to burn. A new twist in the killing of a reputed New York mob boss. Turns out it may not have been a mafia hit. The suspect appearing in court today with a message scrawled on his hand that's leading police to consider a different motive. In court today, 24-year-old Anthony Camello, the man police say put 10 bullets into alleged New York mob boss Francesco Frankie Boy Cali. Scribbled on Camello's left hand, MAGA forever and united we stand. Camello nabbed in New Jersey over the weekend, along with police say, the blue pickup truck used in the crime. Is it true you're waiving your right for extradition? Yes, sir. Waiving extradition to Staten Island, where Callie was gunned down in front of his home last week. We do not believe this was a random act. But is it connected to Callie's role as a leader in the Gambino crime family? Tonight, law enforcement sources say Comello was angry he was told by Callie to stop seeing his niece. What ended in Callie's death started with Comello ramming his truck into Callie's parked SUV, according to police. Every step captured on surveillance video. Was he acting alone? Was he acting for other people? Are there others involved? What is the motive? I simply, standing here, do not have all those answers for you. Camelo's attorney says his family has no answers either, promising in a statement, there is something very wrong here and we will get to the bottom of it. A young man perhaps trying to end one problem, now facing so many more. Ann Thompson, NBC News, New York. In Health Matters tonight, a new survey conducted by Insights West for London Drugs reveals nearly 40% of Canadians are not taking their prescription medications properly. Linda Aylesworth has more. When you take a prescription medication, do you follow the directions? Do you listen to your doctor or your pharmacist's advice? London Drugs recently commissioned a survey to find out. What I really learned is that people are not really taking the medication as they've been instructed. The survey found that 9 out of 10 Canadians agree it's important to follow the instructions. And yet, nearly 40% of those surveyed did not take medications properly. A quarter admit to taking less than prescribed or not filling their prescriptions at all. One in five stopped taking medications before advised, and roughly the same number adjusted the dosage or frequency without consulting a health care professional. 
all those things can lead to problems. Less optimization of your disease management and as well the progression of illness. So then it could increase the risk of complications and then which is increased hospitalizations. As for why, nearly a quarter of those surveyed blame forgetfulness. Um, solution to forgiveness is that we have a sample of blister packs here. So then it tells you when to take the medication and then it also tells you whether you have taken the medication or not. Blister packs can also be helpful for the 9% of people who say they are overwhelmed by the number of medications they're prescribed. A similar number blame not knowing why they're taking medications in the first place. For that, too, there's a solution. There's also an oral vaccine that you can take, that you can mix and you can drink. A consultation with your pharmacist. We are very accessible. So that's our role at the end of the day. If we're able to help someone, that is what we are most happy about. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. An unusual call for firefighters and an expensive lesson for homeowners. What fell from this ceiling in Tennessee after the forecast? <laughs> Yvonne Shell back with a look at that forecast. Uh, beautiful day today, record breaking even, Yvonne. Yes, this is day two. Yesterday we saw over a dozen uh, temperature records fall. Today unofficially over 10 so far. We'll sort of round off those numbers for you quite uh, very shortly. A beautiful shot overlooking the North Shore Mountains. Temperatures out of the airport still sitting into the double digits at 12 with the northwesterly wind at 7 kilometers per hour. Unofficial numbers so far. Areas near Chilliwack closer to 23 degrees. Squamish at 23.5. The old record of 18.7 on this day. Set back in 1996. Agassiz and Pitt Meadows with many spots into the low 20s. So we're above the average for this time of the year. We'll hang on to this for another two days and I'll talk more about the change on the way in just a moment. A record out of the airport would be 17 degrees set back in 1981. Ridge of high pressure remains very strong. We'll likely see some of the warmest temperatures tomorrow along the south coast but it continues. The ridge is going to push its way towards the east and Thursday Friday still remaining very warm for interior regions. Here's a look for Metro Vancouver. So tomorrow being one of the warmest days and then on Thursday, Friday with a few clouds rolling in and a chance of showers on Friday, we'll start to see those temperatures dip down. Along the coast for tomorrow, Prince Rupert up to 17 degrees. Inland for Smithers at 13. The double digits for the interior regions, but keep in mind, very chilly for your overnight lows with the clear skies and the windshield anywhere between minus 3 and minus 5. Kelowna up to 14. Kamloops seeing 17. Balmy and areas near Whistler will be up to 14 degrees. And along the south coast, it is a touch cooler if you're by the water for the island at 16, but areas inland will get up to 20 or 21 degrees, and that's what we're seeing stretching into the Fraser Valley. Double digits and the potential once again to see the record-breaking heat. We are going to see the sunset officially this evening at 722, and spring officially arrives on Wednesday at 258, so closer to 3 in the afternoon, and we'll hang on to that sunshine. The change that we're advertising will be on Thursday with a few clouds and a chance of showers could roll in for both our Friday, Saturday, and leading into the weekend, we'll leave you off with this great shot for our weather window this evening, sent in from Al in Stanley Park. So, very nice. Thank you very much, Yvonne. Well, firefighters in Chattanooga, Tennessee, recently rescued a dog from a precarious spot. That's Bella flying from the ceiling and into the waiting arms of a firefighter. The long-haired toy dachshund decided to chase a squirrel last week and ended up stuck in the attic of her home. Owners could hear her yelping through the wall but couldn't find a way to get her out, so they called the fire department. 
Cruz had to use a saw to cut an opening, and Bella made her big leap to safety and is now doing fine. A violent scene at a soccer match in Greece. Flags were set on fire inside a stadium in Athens as fans attacked players on the visiting team's bench. Flares were also thrown out. They eventually wound up in a scuffle with police outside the stadium, too. The tear gas came out, and eventually the entire game had to be called off. I mean, Whitecaps games get exciting, but not like that. See, here's the difference. In Europe, mm -hmm. the fans fight each other. In right. North America, the players fight each other, and we watch. Right. I like our way better. We're, you know, we paid for the entertainment. We want to sit yeah, in our I comfortable wanna, seats, eat our hot dogs. I don't want to fight the dude dogs. over there. You do the fight. Exactly. You're the one you get messy paid. that yeah, way. Yeah, you're getting paid. Get out there. Okay, so speaking of soccer, yesterday Alfonso Davies scored his very first league goal, Bundesliga goal, for Bayern Munich, which is the perfect buildup for Sunday's game at BC Place between Canada and French Guyana. Except Davies might not be able to play this game because it looks like he hurt himself during the celebration of that goal. Now, if he's not 100%, there is no way Byron Munich will let him play for Canada. I'm going to show you the goal and the aftermath. I'm not a doctor. In fact, I don't even play a doctor on TV. But look at Davies' face while he does this post-goal slide. And you can see, at least I think I'm watching, the face of someone who has felt a little bit of pain. You'll see the goal first. Here comes the goal on the replay. Now watch his face after the slide. I'll slow it down for you. He's all smiles. Yeah, I scored. And then suddenly it's like, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Just the way he stood up. Just seems like something twinged on him there. So we'll see. Anyways, Bayern Munich's doctors say they'll keep Canada's doctors informed. Again, any sign that there is a problem and Alfonso Davies stays in Germany. Canada is also going to be missing for that game. Scott Arfield, their captain, and Will Johnson, who are also hurt. Well, yesterday, Tim Schaller actually scored, not once but twice, when the Canucks beat uh, Dallas in a shootout. Tonight, they're taking on Chicago. Brock Besser, chance. Corey Crawford saved. Besser has a 16-point streak coming into this one. Then Bo Horvat has a chance against Crawford. Breakaway and no. Late in the first period, Blackhawks get a power play. How many times have these two guys combined? Kane, Taves, goal, Chelsea Dagger. It's 1-0 after one period. But in the second period, the Canucks have rallied. Start of a power play, yes, yeah, shoot the puck, always a good idea. Alexander scores, they have scored again. The Canucks are now leading 2-1 in the second period. Steven Samkos in Tampa against Clayton Keller and Arizona. Why do I say Keller? Because he scored right there. That made it 1-0 for the Coyotes. But Stamkos will score on a deflection here and become the all-time leading goal scorer in Tampa Bay Lightning history, passing Vinny LeCavalier, 1-1 in the third. Canada's newest tennis sensation is Mississauga's Bianca Andreescu, who yesterday won the biggest, or one of the biggest, non-Grand Slam tournaments there is at Indian Wells in California. This tournament has actually been a coming out party for a number of Grand Slam winners on the women's side, like Serena Williams back in 99, current number one Naomi Osaka of Japan won it, and then she went on to win the U.S. Open and the Australian Open this year. Andreescu was just a wild card entrant into this event, and when she won, 
She couldn't believe she had done it, especially considering it wasn't that long ago she wasn't even on tennis's radar. It's crazy what a year can do. I was playing 25Ks in Japan, and now I'm the... Can I say the F word? No, I can't. The, <laughs> the effing champion of Indian Wells. It's... <laughs> Crazy. Crazy is the word of the tournament for me. Just crazy. Well, maybe it's not so crazy, because since 2019 started, she's been showing everyone she can beat big names. At a tournament in January, she beat two former number ones, Carolyn Wozniacki and Venus Williams. I've watched um, all of these players play on TV so many times, so it's surreal to be able to play against them in, uh, in front of amazing crowds at, uh, at such prestigious tournaments. In the final of Indian Wells, Andreescu was tied 1-1 in sets, and she was wearing down physically against Angelique Kerbers. That was until her coach inspired her on the sidelines. It's, it's true, you need to push, you're right. You're gonna need to push through it. You're, you're, you're gonna need to stay strong under adversity, but that's okay. That's what, you're, that's what you want. You welcome competition. Oh, this is so bad. Okay, that's good, perfect. I, I like to hear that. So go out there and keep competing every single ball, every single point. You get uh, the way he says things really, um, it really gives me chills. Um, so I'm really, I'm glad I called him at that moment. And yeah, at that point, I was really, really tired. But um, at, that, at that point, I was like, mind over matter. And it definitely showed. Oh, magical. It's been a crazy ride, truly a Cinderella story. Naomi did this last year, and now to be able to have my name in front, um, in front of so many amazing champions, is, it, it means the world to me. Women's World Curling Championships, Canada against Japan. Saina Nakajima. Well judged so far. And Japan getting well, two in the ninth to take a 7-4 lead. So, Canada's Chelsea Carey needs to uh, get three here to tie. She gets through that little bunch of red stones, but not enough. Although Canada would win its next game against Finland. So Canada's three and two. China the only unbeaten team at five and zero. Here's a look at your snow report for today. Whistler Blackcomb with a base of 245. 236 for Grouse, 315 for Cypress, and Sasquatch at 246. Fernie with a base of 212, Manning Park 165, and Whitewater 229. Big White with a base of 238, Silver Star 202, Sun Peaks 176. Kicking Horse with a base of 180, 217 for Mount Washington, and Powder King at 286. Coming up on ET Canada, Roz Weston is backstage with Sarah McLaughlin and Corey Hart at the Junos. Plus, Tessa Virtue's new life off the ice and how she got her own Barbie doll. It's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Sophie. All right. Thanks very much, Carlos. All right. Who? You don't play chess, right? I don't play chess. Mahjong. You don't play? Mahjong, uh, yes. It's co it seems complicated. <laughs> I play chess. I'm not very good at it, but I've played you gotta be, you got to be like very, very patient and uh, I just start. I just start right in the middle of the game. I just start playing chess. You just throw the pieces <laughs> yeah. all over the room. That's right. In a fit of rage. I cannot remember how to play chess. Uh, well, a young New York State chess champion is proving that life's challenges do not define you. The eight-year-old is beating the odds and inspiring others with 
all the right moves. I can't go there. No. Tanatalua Adawumi no. is tenacious and smart. And like other good chess players, he simply sees things on the board his opponents do not. What I like most about chess is deep thinking. Deep thinking. Yeah, I mean, like deep. Tani handily won the New York State Chess Tournament in his age group this year. Not bad for an eight-year-old who only learned to play the game a year ago. His family came to America from Nigeria two years ago. Christians fleeing persecution, his dad works two jobs, and his mother just passed a home health care course. Where do you live? We live in Sheta. Yes, the Adewumis are homeless. So one of his coaches started a GoFundMe page to help out. And as Tani's story spread, the money started pouring in. People are good. People want to support Tani Tolua. The Adewumis are overwhelmed proud of their son who was heading to nationals in May and stunned by the generosity of a city and country where they prayed to find refuge. I'm so proud of him. Like in chess, making the right move can make all the difference. Harry Smith, NBC News, New York. Why do they go so fast? Because <laughs> they're good. I understand that. Because they're good. Um, and just an update to that story. Apparently now the family uh, has been offered an apartment. So they're oh, going nice. to get out of the shelter and go to a... Well, the kid's obviously home. a prodigy. He's only played yeah. for a year. It's just like it's born well with done. it. Yeah. All right, quick word on the weather. Beautiful. Uh, yes, beautiful, warm and sunny. It'll still be uh, warm tomorrow and then a bit of a change late Thursday into Friday. Soak in the sun's rays, everyone, for the next couple of days. That's it for us. Have a good evening.